You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Welcome. I'm Chris Scott, host of Meeting Pod and contributing editor at Meeting Place and Alt Meat Magazines. Today's episode will provide an update on robotics research for poultry and other meat processing in its current state. Our guest today is Dr. Conrad Allen, senior robotics researcher at the Georgia Tech Research Institute, who is making his second visit to Meeting Pod in the last year. Dr. Allen and his team of researchers are trying to address the challenges that developers of these systems could ultimately face as technological advances like artificial intelligence impact current and future plant robotics projects. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Conrad. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to have you with us today. Now, since you were last on Meeting Pod, the concept of using robotics at meat processing plants has expanded on a fairly large scale since just a few years ago. Can you give us a brief recap on where the robotics concept was last year versus where your research stands these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that having robots in the workplace is becoming a more common idea, or at the very least, a more visible idea in all sectors of manufacturing and food processing. I think that what's been happening in the past year or so is that people have really started to dial in and understand that need. So in the past year, I wouldn't say that there's been a huge shift or a monumental change in things that have been happening or how people are approaching robots or food processing. But I think that we're just now getting more comfortable with the idea that the labor force needs robots and that robots are maturing and getting better and better, coming to a place where they could be helpful for people. And so a result of that, we're just seeing that visibility more of robots are, have a place and that we're finding where that place is. So at minimum, the comfort zone is expanding. I'd say that that's definitely the case. Robots have been around since the 80s, or at least robot arms have been. And we've been using robots successfully in car manufacturing and other areas for decades. The problem has been, how useful are those robots? What sort of roles can they actually take over? And, you know, is it worth the trouble of putting a robot in your facility? And I think more and more for these processes that require the dexterity and the efficiency, we're finding, yes, robots do have a place. Robots are able to take over some of this role and be an asset to companies. Now, these and other robotics-based systems that are designed to make processing more efficient eventually are expected to go beyond such repetitive actions as deboning or sorting on the plant floor. Can you outline some other areas in a processing facility where robotics can play a role in making operations smoother, safer, or less costly? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things to remember is that robots are what we call flexible automation. So a fixed automation task is a machine that does the same thing over and over and over again. So you can imagine a lot of manufacturing relies on fixed automation, where it's a machine that will press or push or whatever it might be, the same operation again and again. What robots offer is the ability to make decisions on the fly, to introduce this flexibility, to give you a chance to be smarter about your operations and smarter about what you're tasking. So where I think robots are going to take more of a role in some of these processes are places where decision-making is necessary. 
So a great example of this could be cleaning, perhaps, where right now in operations, it's very important to make sure that you're sanitizing and making sure that you're cleaning on a regular basis. But that requires a person to do that job. It's possible that as robots progress, that a robot will actually take that role and do some of those cleaning operations that allows you to perhaps do it more routinely or more efficiently. There are a lot of examples, though, within a processing facility where uh, you just need a person. A person needs to be there to make the decision. And it's as robots are becoming more sophisticated, robots can take on more of those roles, more of those helping people with decision-making tasks, performing the labor, getting in there and doing complex tasks that would normally require a person to take a hands-on approach. So the person could have an input, but not necessarily be responsible for executing the process, say, for sanitation. That's a great way of putting it. I think that's something that concept that a lot of people has is that a robot is replacing a person. What I prefer to focus on is that a robot is going to be cooperating with a person. We don't want to get rid of people. We want to have the robot being able to do labor in a way that robots are well suited for and have people be doing other jobs that are perhaps not suited for the robot or working with the robot to be able to do those tasks more efficiently. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't need state secrets, but what are some of the areas that you and your team at Georgia Tech are focusing on these days? And what are some of the challenges that have to be considered when developing these new operational options? So I'll say right off the bat that the challenge that we come face to face with over and over again is safety. You know, we are dealing with robots that are powerful machines that are could be dangerous under the wrong circumstance. And we want them working with people. We want them working in conjunction with uh, human teams. So to understand how to safely implement those actions where the person stays safe, first and foremost, but secondary, the robot and equipment stay safe as well. One of the things that is very sharp focus of mine is implementing virtual reality as a means of allowing a person and a robot to cooperate in a shared virtual space. So I probably talked about this last time, but the technology has matured quite a bit over the past year or so. What we're trying to do is we're trying to allow a user in a virtual reality space to be able to give directions and tasking to a robot. And using 3D cameras and other sophisticated technologies, a person can see and experience what the robot is seeing and experiencing. And that way, a person, a robot can be sharing the same virtual space and can be talking, communicating, passing information back and forth, while at the same time, without any sort of risk of injury due to God forbid, a collision or something like that. There wouldn't be the possibility of a person robot colliding with one another, or like I said, God forbid, any sort of damage happening right. because they're in separate physical spaces while sharing the same virtual space. So this isn't quite Moore's Law where things are advancing so quickly that you turn around and a year later, it's completely unrecognizable. But that does sound like it's a huge advance from, say, five years ago. Yes, there's definitely been a lot of advancements from five years ago in terms of how readily accessible, I'd say, a lot of this technology is. Because virtual reality robots existed to some one capacity or another five years ago. But what's really changed now is the availability of them. It's much easier for a industry corporation to purchase a robot now than it was five years ago. And it's much easier for a person, an individual, to purchase a VR headset that's affordable and is quite good uh, today versus five years ago. 
So as these technologies are becoming more available, the options for integrating them together in a way that allows for a person to coordinate with a robotic device is actually way more accessible. And that's only going to get better and improve in terms of concept. Now, let's take a quick look back at your initial research. There really wasn't a specific focus on using automated systems in meat processing plants. What would you say was the breakthrough moment that shifted your focus in that direction? That's very true. So my research in robotics began as a controls and path planning problem. And I wouldn't say that there was a breakthrough moment that led me to meat processing or poultry processing. But really what I discovered is that if I wanted to face the problem that robotics has of how do you integrate more advanced systems to do more dexterous tasks, the forefront of that, the place where this is really coming together, is actually in food processing, meat processing, poultry processing. The challenges of pushing robotic limitations is found in these agricultural tasks where you're not necessarily in a structured environment like a automotive factory where everything is laid out exactly in place and everyone knows where everything is. The challenge for these robotic systems is really in these processes with all these unknowns and uncertainties. And how do you get a system that can run smoothly and efficiently despite those uncertainties? So I'm coming into this field from a robotics background trying to understand how to create a better robot. And what I've had to do over the past five to 10 years is learn about the meat processing industry, about the poultry processing industry to try and address those challenges. And it's been a heck of a learning curve over the past five years or so trying to come into this field to learn about what the problems are and to try and understand how I as a roboticist can direct the field of robotics to better serve these needs. And of course, each of those will have to be specifically optimized for different plants, different proteins, different functions, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a little bit of a road to hoe down the line on this. Oh, absolutely. Our hope is that we can generalize as much as possible, that we develop technologies that will apply not just in poultry processing, but in meat processing in general, that we can create more sophisticated robots that are capable of handling dexterous tasks so that if it comes to deboning or handling or packaging, the same types of algorithms can work between domains. But of course, once it gets down to it, there's going to have to be some specialization required. There's going to be new challenges or new problems that are unique to certain domains. But our hope is that the more we learn, the more that we understand, and the better our systems are, the better we will be able to meet those challenges. Absolutely. Now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor for this episode, Asid. Today's podcast is brought to you by Asid. Get back to basics without compromising quality. Introducing the Asset 500LI Tuck and Fold Tray Overwrap Packaging Machine, designed for protein processors who value reliability. The 500LI is perfect for packaging up to 60 packs per minute. Experience the efficiency and precision you've come to know and love. Discover how the Asset 500LI can bring simplicity and efficiency to your business. Visit our website or contact us for more information about the Osid 500LI. Now back to the podcast. And we're back. Now, Conrad, you and your team are working to develop more efficient and effective automated systems to ex execute these repetitive meat processing tasks. Can you give our listeners an idea of how large the scope of this type of research has expanded in the last five years or so? And did outside factors like the COVID-19 pandemic affect this research for better or for worse? 
Yeah, so the way that I would put it is our research hasn't necessarily changed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but I definitely say that the need for our research has been amplified. We've been in many situations over the past five years or so where before COVID, we were proposing some technologies. We were trying to get our foot in the door and tell people about what we were working on. And although, of course, there was always interest, it was kind of seen as a, sure, someday in the future that'll happen. Sure, someday in the future there'll be a robot in the plant. And yeah, maybe it'll be doing deboning or packaging or whatever it is. That's in the future. And then COVID-19 came along and, you know, the world kind of exploded. It's a terrible time for a lot of people. And that's very unfortunate, but it showed a lot of places that, oh, we need to be able to adapt. We need to be able to have that flexibility. If something like this happens, we're in a situation where we're in trouble. We need that flexibility that robotics offers. So it didn't necessarily change our research. This has been the direction that we've been moving in for quite some time but it definitely changed how our research has been received in industry. So what I'd say is that the conversation has turned up, the volume of the conversation has turned up in the past couple of years as people are listening and trying to see what steps can we take right now so that in the future, if something happens, we're not caught unprepared. And on that note, these automated systems are being developed at a number of research centers that are doing similar work to your lab. Are you finding that meat processing companies are moving closer to being more open to installing these systems than they may have been just a few years ago? I'd say in general, the answer to that is yes. Where for most cases, I think that meat processors and poultry processing are going to still probably find comfort in fixed automated solutions. There's been a lot of companies out there that are trying to make deboning systems and other sort of -of out-of-the-box solutions for these tasks that are common processing plants, and they work quite well. I'm not trying to disparage them. But there's something about having a robot that can perform a task similar to the way that a person performs a task that is valuable. It allows a lot more dexterity. It potentially allows for a lot more yield. It could be integrated more efficiently into current processes versus having to change out an entire line for a new giant machine. You can instead have robots that are about the size of people standing where people currently stand doing something similar. And that, of course, addresses some of the issues that were raised during COVID, especially in the early days when it was spreading among plant workers. Yes, it's a very unfortunate reality. Unfortunately, yes. That's the way. And I, I hate that that's how it has to come about, where this has been something that's changed the narrative. But I am glad that people are taking the idea of robots in these facilities seriously. Absolutely. Now, what would you describe as potential hurdles as these automated systems potentially transition into a larger scale concept in a meat plant, for example? And what are some of the things these processors would need to do in order to advance implementation of these systems relative to plant design and worker training? So I think one of the largest hurdles in getting robots into these facilities really comes on my end, where roboticists need to understand the problems and the challenges and what's being asked of them in designing systems that will work for meat processing. It's not enough to have a robot wave a knife around. There's so much complexity and there's so much nuance in doing this task efficiently that needs to happen. And from my perspective as a roboticist, I didn't understand that coming in. And it's only been in the past few years that I've really appreciated how hard this problem is and how much needs to change in order for robots to be good enough 
to be used at a large scale. I think that after that, once robots are capable of doing these tasks efficiently and reliably, it's going to be a conversation of how do people and robots work together? Because it's never going to be the case, or at the very least, it's so far in the future, it's not even worth thinking about at this point, that you're just having a factory full of robots. It's going to be automated solutions as well as people together. And there's going to be problems on both sides. Sometimes the robot's not going to work. Sometimes the person's not going to do what's being asked of them. And it has to be this cooperation between robots and people if things are going to work efficiently. And I think that that's been something that's been neglected in the conversation quite a bit leading up till now. Oftentimes with a machine, you'll have a group of people that load the machine, a group of people that unload the machine, and then in the middle, the machine does whatever the machine does. And while that might be fine for some operations, if we're talking about doing something that requires the dexterity and the skill of these meat deboning tasks and these other sorts of poultry processing tasks, it's not going to be good enough to just have a robot do what the robot is doing, people doing what they're doing, and having there be no interaction. Understanding how that cooperation needs to take place is going to have to be a large part of the conversation. And clearly those kind of adjustments are seemingly parallel to when you open a new sector in a meat processing plant and you have to train workers not only to get the job done, but also to work together to be the most efficient and not waste food or waste meat and that sort of thing, which all plants have to deal with. Absolutely. Again, we as roboticists have to understand that the people who are going to be using these devices, operating these machines, aren't roboticists. They're just people. It's not going to be that every plant that hires a robot is going to hire a roboticist to stand next to it, feeding it product or whatever else. That's part of the challenge is these are complex machines that require a lot of nuance and understanding. And so we have to make them robust and durable enough that anyone, any average person who is trying to work alongside it can feasibly understand what the robot needs and how that robot is expected to behave. Wow. Well, I'm going to ask a tough one now. I want you to take a peek into your crystal ball. And all things considered, as we discussed, is how quickly things have changed in the last few years. Where do you see robotics and automation in U.S. factories and plants in the next 10 years in general? And are there foreign operations that also could be ready to install their own systems sooner than later if they haven't already done so? So let's see, the next 10 years. I think that 10 years from now, let's look forward by looking backwards. And Mm -hmm. that might be a little bit of a strange way of doing it. But if you think about robot arms, and that's typically what we're talking about when we're talking about robotics, is these manipulators that have a bunch of axes and kind of look like a human arm, but they're machines. If you look at the design of a robot arm, the hardware, the motor gearboxes, the controller systems, they've improved drastically over the past 40 years or so since Mm -hmm. they first really were conceived. But if you look at the design of the robot arm, and what I mean by design is how those motors are laid out in order to do what they do, in order to reach the, the objects in their environment and whatnot, there actually hasn't been much change in the robot design in 40 years. So a robot that was being used in the 80s, the person who programmed that robot, if you show them a robot today, they would know what to do with a robot today. And that's what I mean. The robot themselves, the hardware, the software, it's all way better than it's been. But if we talk about what the robot is physically capable of doing in terms of what can it reach, how can it move, there isn't actually that much of a change. So when we talk about 
what is going to look like in the next 10 years? Where do I see robotics and automation and whatnot? The real change isn't necessarily going to be in the robots themselves or even what a single robot could do. Where that change is going to come from is how do robots work together? And I think that that's a key uh, insight that we need to really be thinking about. How do robots work together? And how do people work with the robots? You don't expect, if you have your, for your two arms, you don't expect one arm to be doing one thing and the second arm to be doing another thing and for them to never interact. Most things that we do with our hands, we expect there to be some interaction between them. And it's in that interaction that really unlocks our potential. It's not just using one hand or the other. It's using them both together really is what allows us and enables us to do these really complex tasks that we're doing. So if I want to think about how that advancements in the next decade or so is going to take place, it's in terms of how are robotic systems going to be interacting with one another? Because I don't think those devices themselves are really going to change that much. It's more in terms of how they are uh, manipulating their environment, how they are working within their task domains to get things done, and that role that they're taking in terms of helping people, that's really going to be the difference there. In terms of foreign operations, I'm sure that there's places all over the world that are working on integrating robotic systems. I couldn't necessarily say that there's one over another that is doing better or worse, but I think that it's not going to be something that's unique to here. I really hope that the United States is innovating and is pushing this in a leadership role. But my guess is that as soon as we get it working, it's going to be something that everyone in the world is going to want to see in their factories and in their facilities. Absolutely. And you raised an excellent point. We're only at the starting line in terms of virtual reality and artificial intelligence and other currently unforeseen advances in technology, which, of course, will have some sort of an effect on some level on some of these systems down the road. Absolutely. So in the past year or so, artificial intelligence has really gotten a spotlight in terms of what it's capable of and what it could be used for. But I think people at the same time might overhype it just a little bit. Artificial intelligence very much is still in a beginning phase. And artificial intelligence in terms of robotics is at a very beginning phase. Right now, it's going to be a matter of understanding how we can use those systems. And again, more importantly, how they're going to be used with us. And so it's an interesting opportunity. It's a very unique point where we need to be able to be at the forefront of directing robots, artificial intelligence, and bring it all together in a way that's going to help people. And it sounds like you and your team are among the others on the road to that happening. Thanks so much for sharing your insights on automated systems and their use in meat processing plants, Conrad. And per usual, thanks to our listeners for tuning in this week. That's a wrap. Until next time. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meat magazines on social media, and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeat.net. Music